Welcome to the Efficient Spend Podcast, where we help marketers turn media spend into revenue. My guest today is Shamanth Rao. Shamanth, thank you for being here. Thank you, Paul, for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, I'm very excited to chat. I was hoping we could start with uh, just giving some uh, the audience some brief context into what you do and your experience with optimizing marketing spend. Yeah, uh, I run Rocketship HQ. We're a boutique growth marketing agency that helps mobile apps grow in a post-identifier world, uh, which has everything to do with the theme of your podcast, which is that you know, in a post-identifier world, its measurement is nowhere as clean or clear as it used to be four or five years ago when you could say creative aid drove this much revenue. You just can't do that. So a lot of our work is making sense of messy measurement or absent measurement. Uh, and of course, another part of big part of our work is making sure that creatives are dialed in and uh, advertisers are set up to scale in the absence of complete data. I'm, I'm glad we started with operating in a post-IDFA world. I know that you produce a ton of great content around this topic. It was a large mindset shift for me in 2020 when scan kind of came upon us and you think to yourself, wow, these numbers that I used to be getting are not the same anymore. Can I trust what I'm getting right now? Can I trust what I was getting before? When you work with your clients and you onboard a, a new client to rocket ship, how has your goal setting uh, kind of process changed in a post-IDFA world? A lot, I would say, uh, right? And I think we pretty much in every engagement, we start by setting expectations that if you want to know exactly how much revenue this creative drove, it's not happening. I couldn't deliver it and nobody else could deliver it. And if anybody is saying that it's, that that is possible, they're, they're, they're talking BS or they're doing something black hat and which we can talk about, you know, what some of these things could be. But uh, really, the goal, in terms of goal setting, it's, I think, making our customers comfortable with the fact that they are losing precise granular data. It's gone, not just for them, but for everybody. But there are non-deterministic techniques that we can use and we do use that we have a lot of confidence in that will nonetheless ensure that they're growing and they're growing profitably uh, and they will grow profitably even if they did, can't pinpoint exactly what Creative A is doing in their mix. For sure. What are some of those non-deterministic techniques? You know, the simplest one would just be to look at your blended data, right? And say blended data and compare your sources. And, you know, to be honest, for some of the smaller engagements we work with, we don't need more. We don't use anything more sophisticated because it's unnecessary. So if it's like two sources and uh, blended data, we're like, okay, we increased Google spend yesterday. What happened to our blended drawers? Can we get at least a rough estimate of how Google spend is impacting our blended ROAS? Right, so that's the simplest one. Uh, then, of course, we do run, uh, you know, and you know, with some folks, it's more like 
geo level tests it could be okay can we pause channel a in a country and see what happens to your overall uh, blended ROAS for a limited period of time obviously that has its limitations uh, you know and then we also uh, look at uh, organic uplift which would be like okay we increased our spend we got ex- more paid installs what happens to our quote unquote organics then we increase the paid installs right for many but not all products that organics go up and we can reasonably quantify how much it's going up by for every paid install you call it right so you can certainly do that and of, of course for the more sophisticated advertisers when i say sophisticated these are folks that are at significant scale north of 100 150 200k what we do a month i mean right on three four plus channels it's typically then we use media mix models uh again there are third-party tools available for media mix models and incrementality analysis uh we've tended to lean towards doing or uh, using our own models not because we hate any other third-party tools, but it's because we are comfortable making our own models. Uh, we, when I say our own models, we customize what's available open source. Uh, you know, the one we use most often is Robin by Facebook. Facebook, that's R-O-B-Y-N. It's the simplest one. We also use spreadsheet-based models for relatively simple setups. We just use with, uh, linear regression. Uh, but to, to your question, the, we you you know, for the simpler engagements, it's just blended analysis. For the most sophisticated ones, it could be media mix models that allow us to see what is the true value of a source in your media mix. Sure. Um, it's a it's a great answer. I think different degrees of analysis require different types of models. Um, I interviewed Mayur Sadra um, a couple of months ago as the founder of Incremental. And we were talking about, well, for creative testing, if you want to see... Um, creative A or creative B, you know, headline A or headline B does better. You can rely on Facebook data. You're not going to rely on a um, media mix model for that type of analysis. But if you're trying to understand, hey, I'm spending $100 million a year on media across these 12 different channels, which channel should I lean more into, which channels more incremental, um, you start to get into some of the, the more sophisticated analysis. And I've also... Uh, started to do a lot more of not only GeoLift, but thinking about kind of what is the holistic impact of this spend? What's the impact to brand search? What's the impact to organic installs? I think the challenge there is uh, for the unsophisticated marketer or for finance teams, things like that, explaining some of these nuances can be a, a little bit complex, especially when you're comparing like Android and, and iOS, um, where you know this better than most. iOS, you may, depending on how down funnel the event is, you might see wildly different CPAs. When you see that, when you're running two campaigns and maybe you know your Android CPI is a little bit lower, but still kind of similar. But then when you get to a a CPA per some downstream event and it's so different, what do you do to communicate, hey, we should still be investing more into iOS, right? Yeah, yeah. That's a very good question because 
I've talked a lot about this. In fact, on another podcast, I put out like an extract, which is basic from the podcast, which is called how to train your CFO, uh, which is basically touching on this point, right? And it's a very real problem because CFOs, CEOs, decision makers want to know what is their ROAS, if they spend a dollar, how much are they getting back? Or what is the CPA of your Facebook spend? And if Android looks better than iOS, they need mathematical proof that says, no, we should be investing on iOS, right? So uh, my recommendation for how to train your CFO, and this is something we have employed in our own uh, work as well, is A, again, for smaller, simpler engagements, give the CFO blended metrics only, not what Facebook is saying. If And we actively tell everyone, Facebook, you cannot trust Facebook. End of story, do not trust it. What you trust is what's in your bank account. Uh, and that is the only thing you need to rely on. Look at your blended dollars in, dollars out. That's one way of looking at it, right? And it works at small spends and people find it reliable. At larger spends, it's obviously much harder. If you're running five, six channels, spending a couple hundred thousand a month, then what we do is the we use the media mix model and the output of the media mix model is typically the true value or the true CPA of your channel. That is what we report to everybody and that is what we tell everyone to take as a source of truth. Uh, so when we work with the CFO, they might see that Facebook is saying, oh, your cost per purchase is 750. We just say, that's not your cost per purchase. Our media mix model says it's 55. That's the number you need to report, uh, take in your reporting. And obviously we can't run a media mix model every single day. So what we do is we take the ratio 750 to 50 and we say, look, whatever number comes back tomorrow, your true CPA is one tenth or one fifteenth of what Facebook is reporting. Let's take a multiplier. Let's agree on what that multiplier is. And whatever Facebook tells you, whatever Google tells you, maybe one fifth, one tenth, whatever your multiplier is, that is your true value. That's the number we would recommend that you take for your uh, budgeting purposes, right? And obviously a lot of this is not just a theoretical exercise, right? Oftentimes we give this analysis and say, look, if you don't believe this, let's make a budget change and let's see what happens. Right. And one, you know, in one instance, we knew that Google was over reporting massively uh, as it would, because if you rely on Firebase reported metrics, uh, Firebase is wildly optimistic. Right. And uh, obviously, for understandable reasons, because they're the referee, they're the opponent. Nobody is going to dispute the fact that they're going to claim a lot of credit. Uh, and we saw this for, for one particular engagement we were in. And the client was wildly optimistic about Google because they were like, oh my God, this CPA is like, you know, one fifth or one fourth of what Facebook's reporting. It's so amazing. Uh, we ran the media mix model and we were like, this does not look good, right? And Google is just nowhere as incremental. CPA is way higher than Facebook. They were still skeptical. And then I was like, you know, let's just pause this for a couple, for, for two weeks and just see what happens. 
we did we passed it zero ch change in anything incremental zero change in blended metrics and uh, that was vindication again not everything is as clean cut as that but certainly you're able to make big changes to say look here's the proof of the pudding sure if it's uh too good to be true it probably is and i've seen this uh more specifically in in the past with like programmatic networks that were just driving insane amount of impressions and insane amount of of clicks and you're looking at the data and then you're like well the cpi looks great but what's going on here and then you can start to identify fraud and things like that i think within the industry it feels like there's kind of two things happening on one side you have uh brands and and uh, networks that are clinging for all of the data that they can and starting to protect this and using this to bid and to optimize. And then on the other side, you have this ethos of, well, ID-based targeting, ID-based optimization is going away. We have to rely on more incrementality. We actually should be investing more into some of these harder to measure channels, billboards, things like, like that. Um, what's your kind of stance on this dichotomy that's that's existing? And is that a good way of framing it, do you think? Yeah, right. Uh, definitely, right? Because I think ATT has forced a lot of folks to look at non-ID-based channels, if you will, right? Influencers. You know, I, I don't work with a lot of folks who do billboards, but certainly a lot more who do influencers. Uh, and I've seen that shift. Uh, and definitely the fact that People have woken up to the fact that the ID-based traffic isn't as trustworthy as they all thought it was. They have been leaning towards starting. To, again, I think it's also a function of what scale they're at. Again, the smaller folks we work with, they're still on Meta or TikTok. But certainly the bigger folks, they do diversify away from the ID-based traffic. Right. Um it's it's a great point as well because I, I do think there's a difference between starting from zero and being at lower spend levels where most likely you can exist and serve and, and thrive on just a few channels like like Google and Facebook. Um, you know, I look for a larger brand that runs a more complex media mix. We've been around for a while. And so considerations of incrementality and also a more full funnel approach is something we've struggled with, especially when you become a little bit more cat constrained and you think to yourself, well, we really need to focus all of our efforts on performance and we're not doing as much brand because it doesn't look good. But my philosophy on this is what happens is you end up over serving in that performance market and you've hit diminishing returns, but the attributed CPA still looks better than what it would look like in some upper funnel uh, media. So I guess, you know, maybe a, a good question there is if you're talking about scaling and advertising, you're saying we want to go from zero to, you know, hundred K to 500 K to a couple of mil, what would your philosophy be there on kind of some thought processes or yeah, systems to do that? Yeah, right. Uh, you know, again, while we are very performance focused, right, I have seen that halo effect of having 
media in the media mix that's not 100% performance based has seen that happen you know some it could just be as simple as somebody getting featured on apple or somebody actually somebody we work with was on national television and their performance on all of the paid channels improved dramatically in the week that followed right and that kind of halo effect is not uncommon uh i i think my own philosophy is that i think until a brand is at let's just say 100k or so they shouldn't be worrying about any of this they're going from 100 to 500 i think it makes sense to look at digital non-trackable media which i think is from the vast majority would just be influencers and ctv uh right and that, those, those would be good places to be and i think once you're past 500 or a million a month you want to start looking at other media as well other media partnerships potentially as well but that's sort of the rough split i recommend thinking about Let's talk about for some of those larger advertisers then, right? Um, if you are operating at that scale, do you have any advice for thinking about how to allocate spend across the, the funnel, right? How to know when you're tapped out on retargeting or how to know when you should be going more into upper funnel? Yeah, right. And, you know, it's very brand dependent, I would say, but I think the simple the most straightforward way I have seen to be effective is just to see when any channel or strategy is starting to hit diminishing returns, uh, right? And of course, if you have channels like Facebook and Google, you can start to see this very clearly on non-identifier based channels. It's a little bit harder, uh, you know, and it's less of a clear science. Like, you know, if you're like on influencers, uh, you're like, did I just get some influencers that were just a bad fit or am I just tapping out? It's hard to sort of get a clear inference. Obviously, if you see a sustained dip, probably means, uh, and, you know, I've worked with folks who are like, okay, we're going to have one burst of influencer campaigns happening every week. So we know... Every Friday, our numbers come back. We know how we do, how we are doing, and in cases like that, you can see a more sustained trend. Uh, but unless you have something as consistent and sustained like that, it's less of a clear cut science in terms of when are we typing out, when should we cut our losses and move on, if you will. For sure, I struggle with that as well sometimes because I think that there are things to lean into that might not be as clear cut that you still need to lean into. And sometimes you don't go into those because you're like, well, I can't, I don't have a clear testing strategy here. I have a conviction this thing will work, but there's no way to measure it. So we can't really do it, which I think is a mistake. Yeah. 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 Right. And I know that I know a couple of very big, digital brands that were able to pull off this kind of growth because they had strong C levels that advocated for this. And they said, look, if we stay on Facebook, yeah, we're spending, you know, tens of millions uh, on Facebook. We are one of the top advertisers on Facebook, but this is not going to get us to the next level. 
we have to be on TV, we have to be in in-flight magazines, we have to get out of the digital sort of, you know, uh, viewership space because that is a local minima and they had a C-level that, they had a C-level team that very strongly advocated for this. I would say in the absence of that kind of executive support, it can be very, very hard to break out of that local minima. Uh, you know, and obviously they had the conviction also because this was a relatively mass market product. You know, if they, they were clear that there was the target addressable market out there. So they knew they could do that, uh, right? On a sort of different example, I also worked with a word game that was very mass market, had been around for years. And this had ex- very strong year one, year two retention metrics. And based on that, the C-level uh, for this game was like, had the conviction to say, okay, we will go beyond digital because we know the metrics are proven. Uh, you know, and I think those could be valid approaches, but I would say it's extremely hard without somebody that's relatively senior having a lot of conviction that this is the way to go. We'll take up the losses, even if this is not fully measurable. To me, it's also a function of uh, creative testing and, and messaging because there is only a, just like you hit diminishing returns within a given channel, there are diminishing returns within intent audiences in my mind. And <clears throat> there's only going to be a certain amount of people that are going to be ready to download that game today versus um, maybe they want to learn a little bit more. And so you build that upper funnel messaging. I know that creative testing is a big part of what you focus on. Do you also, uh, do, does does Rocketship also lean into different types of testing, landing page, things like that? Um, I think, you know, working with with agencies, one thing I've noticed is there's always this challenge of you can only control what you can control and you might come into a brand and they will say, hey, we need you to get us really efficient installs. But then you might look at it and be like, well, your product is shit. So <laughs> when uh, when do you play that game and, and how do you how do you look at that? Yeah, right. And I think we try to be very cautious about these situations before we get into an engagement. Uh, we look at product metrics very, very closely. We look at what the past performance has been. Uh, and uh, there isn't a lot of conviction that anything we spend is going to come back. Uh, we actually don't take that on. Uh, knock on wood, in the fortunate position that we are able to do that. Uh, but, you know, you're right. It's true and valid that there's only a limited number of levers that we can pull. Like, you know, we can test creative. We can test App Store screenshots, which are the landing pages for apps. Uh, in some engagements, we can test those. Some we cannot test those. And uh, in some, you know, certainly what's happening in the product onboarding, we cannot test at all. What we try to do is every time we see numbers off, we try to give recommendations and say, look, your top funnel metrics are good. Your app store page is terrible. You need to fix this. Or, you know, again, I think this has happened a couple of times with very well-funded startups that have the intent and willingness to spend and we've almost had this 
duty to rein them back and say, wait, if you're going to spend, it's all going to go down the drain. Fix your landing. Let's fix your landing page. Here's what we recommend. Let's fix your onboarding. Here's what we recommend. We'll keep spending uh, a small amount just to make sure you keep getting traffic, just so you're not going completely dry. But once you fix this, we can go full steam ahead. It's not always easy. It's and to be honest, it's not everybody's willing to do that. If especially if they have invested pressure to grow. Sure. Uh, but we try to do what we can. Yeah. I almost think about it like you should start experimenting or uh, working on things that you can take from like zero to 80 or zero to 85. If the onboarding flow is just completely, you know, broken, um, getting into a good place. And then it's really hard once you get it optimized to get those like, you know, 3%, 5% wins, that's a little bit tougher. Um, but if it's at zero, if it's just horrible, you should probably at least start there. Um, that's something in my own career too. I have a lot of experience with optimizing paid media. And now I'm starting to think more about product, things like like pricing, you know, onboarding flows, um, because those are really important levers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Let me ask regarding Scan. I know that we are trans transitioning to to Scan for a lot of ad networks are in the process of doing that right now. Uh, some have had hiccups, uh, and we itself actually just transitioned um, our conversion model to to Scan for. One of your agency's uh, focus is around optimizing scan schemas, which, you know, we talk to our MMP about this and, and try to understand uh, what we should be optimizing. What is your approach there for, for advertisers? And is this one of those things that is low hanging fruit that you can really just, you know, improve for more performance dramatically by getting it right? For the vast majority, yes, it's a relatively low-hanging fruit. And that's just simply because if all you do is maximize the number of conversions in the first 24 hours, you're going to be set. It's not something you need to change or optimize on an ongoing basis. Right. And um, how do you approach that with, with advertisers? Is, is it simply just looking at their funnel and then identifying, you know, different conversion areas are yeah for the vast majority it's looking at their funnel to identify something that has some correspondence or correlation with revenue or purchase uh but uh you know in some cases you might realize there is no event that uh is revenue linked that happens early on in the funnel in those cases my recommendation typically is add an event that could be corresponding to a revenue event. You know, for a couple of games, it could be a starter pack. Uh, it's like, hey, uh, so rather than have a relatively high-value purchase three days in, offer a low-value purchase immediately after a user downloads. Uh, in fact, a lot of games have started doing that after ATT, and this is the primary reason. Interesting. Um, so they will shift their revenue strategy to give scan an earlier event. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, 
you know, this is, and it, it's something too, I think we see in, in fintech, the fact that your primary event might take place outside of that 24 hour period, but some percentage of it does. So what are your thoughts on that, right? Where you might have a, uh, a KPI, but maybe only 20% of those conversions are seen within the first 24 hours or something like that. Do you still include that or how do you? Yeah, that's a tough one. I try to just pick an event that happens as much as possible in the first 24 hours. I think if 20% of events happen in the first 24 hours, I wouldn't have a great deal of conviction that it could correspond to revenues. So that's a tricky situation, right? So, you know, if you know if you said fintech, so maybe you're looking at first sign up, uh, right, or first time depositor. Uh, and obviously, because if you have a relatively long onboarding funnel, the first time depositor happens even multiple days down the line. I know fintechs who, for whom it's seven to 14 days in. In that case, you just want to pick an upstream event that you feel is a reasonably good proxy. Could just be registration, complete onboarding, if you will, and just take that for the sake of simplicity for now, I would say. Yeah, there is no way around, you know, and, you know, uh, sort of other corresponding example I can think of is with a lot of subscription apps, if they have a free trial, the trial happens seven days in, which you're never going to catch. So you just optimize for trials, which even though a lot of trials end up canceling, is a reasonably good predictor of the eventual uh, subscription. Sure. And um, there's a big difference between uh, optimizing an event and reporting and measuring it and paying attention to it too. Um, I feel like it's worth experimenting with bidding towards everything and kind of seeing what works, right? Uh, there's there's probably advertisers that could just bid to an install and that's it um, versus a, a, a downstream event. Um, and that's something we're, we're definitely testing. One of the things with this, with scan four though, you know, we're getting these two additional postbacks. Um, but it's kind of like, well, what the hell do we do with that? Because they're occurring so much later on in the life cycle. It feels like they're not going to impact optimization and bidding as much as they are just going to be measurement based. Right. Yeah. hundred percent. Right. So I don't see any way the platforms are going to in, use that for optimization. I'm, I would say, you know, they might, they, you know, if let's just say Meta says, so if you were to take an example of a fintech app, your second post back could be, hey, actually signed up and made a deposit, made a high value deposit after seven days. That's your post back too. The algorithm could ingest that and say, this is a high value user versus a low value user. So I, I'm sure there's some value the algorithm could get out of it, but because it's so far out in the future and it's also disaggregated, so, so it's also aggregated, sorry. It's also aggregated and your post back two and three are just low, medium, high, right? And for all of those reasons, I think it's just going to be very, very limited. For pretty much everybody, I just recommend just think about get the postback one right. That's the low-hanging fruit. Postbacks two and three, 
you know, nice if you can get it, but otherwise don't worry too much about it. Yeah. And I, and I think it, it also, I mean, it's, it, it's very channel dependent and almost campaign dependent in a way because uh, some advertisers might be, you know, creating and pausing new campaigns on a weekly basis. And then, so by, by the time that thing is paused, you're, you're really not ingesting the data to continue to, to optimize it um, as well. Do you, uh, I, I mean, everyone's kind of excited about scan four. Are, are you, ex- where do you think this is going? Are you, are you, um, I guess you're saying like, you're not cons- as concerned about the subsequent postbacks. Um, what are the kind of things you're excited about with, with scan four? And I guess where Apple's attribution is going. Not a huge amount, to be honest. You know, I'm not excited about a huge amount just because postback one remains largely unchanged. Uh, and yes, they, they've added, uh, you know, a course postback to postback one. So you can add uh, low, medium, high in addition to the earlier postback. The net effect is that for if you're a large advertiser, you'll get a lot more signal. If you're a small advertiser, you get a lot less signal. The underlying workings of Scan4 remain mostly unchanged. So that's one reason I'm not super excited about. The other reason I'm not super excited about it is it's been super buggy. It's taken down a lot of accounts in the last couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, all of this, even though it's nothing groundbreaking, so <laughs> to your question, that's why I don't find it to be particularly earth shattering. Yeah, it's maybe creating some more headaches than than anything else. Yeah, it makes Apple happy. You know, some product manager at Apple probably got promoted because they released a new version. Good for them. Okay. Uh, so has your recommendation to some of your clients to be to actually go into like back to scan three? We yes, we have already gone back to scan three. Uh, well. Yes, there are a couple of folks who switched to Scan 4. Things went south, they went back to Scan 3. Other folks, we told them not even try switching after we had a couple of bad experiences. Now that Meta has said they're rolling things back to Scan 3, we're still waiting and watching to see what happens next. But short answer, we are going slow in regard to scan four. Understood. Yeah. It's ironic that this was released such a, you know, long time ago, I think at the end of last year. And, um, and now we're just seeing networks kind of adopt it. I always want to be, um, you know, with the times and make sure that like our advertising stack is, is updated, but then you're also kind of like cautiously waiting and, and monitoring. Um, yeah. Um, and another question I want to ask about optimization, and it's a little bit of a, a selfish one. You know, certain channels are allowing you to optimize based on value for iOS, right? Uh, Meta, Meta is one of them, um, and a lot of them are still, you know, only CP, CPA focused, and some still, you know, Twitter, for example, you can only optimize towards a cost per install and in, in scan. Um, what are your thoughts on kind of value-based bidding versus more CPA-based bidding and when that's appropriate? I'm, it's definitely a industry or, you know, vertical specific kind of situation, I think. 
Um, but we started to test value-based bidding and I'm not sure it makes as much sense for our business, but curious what your thoughts are at a high level. Yeah, we, I've seen a lot of success with value-based bidding, but it's very advertiser-dependent, vertical-dependent. Where value works well is, A, obviously there needs to be enough signal in terms of conversion value density. That's number one. Number two, there needs to be a big, the product needs to be whale driven, if you will. There needs to be a big delta between a low value user and a high value user so that the algorithm can take in a schema and say, this is a low value and this is a high value user, right? And a lot of this should happen within the first 24 hours. If that happens, that's absolutely ways to make value bidding work. We've seen it work for a number of uh, apps that we work with. I would say the vast majority of these apps are games. Pretty much everyone that does this is games because for every other vertical, it's not nearly as whale driven. This tends to be more CPA focused. Right. I know we have a, a couple of minutes left. Uh, we'd love to ask a couple of kind of like rapid fire questions. I guess the um, the first is, Within the context of the post IDFA world, um, are there any you know emerging channels that you're particularly excited about and looking into more? Not so much, I would say. I think one of the effects of ATT has been a lot more consolidation, right? And uh, I mean, six, seven, eight years ago, I, I was running on fifteen channels to manage like a million dollar budget, and that's not happening now. And I'm talking about 15 digital mobile channels. So not as many emerging channels, unless you consider TikTok an emerging channel. And that's certainly something we've seen a lot of success with. Uh, TikTok's been a big sort of win lately across our portfolio. But other than that, I can't think of anything else. Cool. Yeah, I think TikTok's a, a big one. And it's a, it's an interesting point too. You don't need to be running on all six or seven paid social channels. You can only be running on a few and still be efficient. Um, last round of questions. This is the Efficient Spend podcast. So um, what's the most efficient money that you spent on advertising and also the most inefficient? Inefficient. I don't know if I can name give specifics. Uh, I mean, I, I don't. Yeah. Let me Give me a moment. Right. So. Efficient would be going on Facebook Canvas back in 2013 when it was still cool to do so. And uh, I couldn't, I still can't believe I was spending multiple millions monthly on Facebook Canvas. It was that big an opportunity at the time. I would say that was, I think we were early enough on the platform to really nail it for a game. Uh, most inefficient, I would say, there's actually quite a few. Uh, I would say, you know, I talked about. We were on 15-ish channels. A number of these channels are kind of spammy, kind of scammy, uh, and they all promise the moon. And uh, for a number of those, and again, to protect the innocent or guilty, I'm not going to name names, but a couple of them were like, they had terrible downstream retention, that amazing CPIs, terrible downstream retention. Within two days, it was very clear that it was spam. Sure. Okay. Cool. Um, well, this was great, Shimon. Thank you so much for, for being on the show today. Wonderful. Thank you for having me, Paul.